The views and opinions of this program are those of its host and guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of 90.1 FM, KKFI, Midcoast Radio Project, or its staff and volunteers. Welcome to Jaws of Justice Radio on 90.1 FM, KKFI, Kansas City Community Radio. It's Monday morning. My name is Terry. Today, host David Bell brings his Jaws of Justice trauma series to a full circle with his guest, Alejandra Alex Villalobos McAnderson. Alex is the owner of Villalobos Vitality, where she uses her knowledge as a holistic energy medicine practitioner and mindful leadership coach to help powerhouse individuals to lead and perform from a place of oneness and empathy. As a young immigrant from Mexico herself, Alex is committed to the promise of caring for the next generation through serving and partnering with several nonprofit organizations in the Kansas City community. There isn't always a cure or an easy fix, but the journey toward healing can be as simple as understanding the why behind these things that have happened. Then, discover what you need to do to heal and move forward. We'll play the calendar in the middle of our hour. On Jaws of Justice, we examine how to find justice in our society. Justice will not be served until those who are unaffected are as outraged as those who are. Now, our show. Hi, this is David Bell, and you're listening to Jaws of Justice on 90.1 KKFI. Today is truly a special show because we will come full circle. In our series on trauma, we began with Rekha Sharma Crawford's book, Aaliyah the Brave, Empowering Children Coping with Immigration Enforcement. From there, we spoke with Dr. Vellani Kapo, a consultant on the book, about childhood trauma and its lasting impacts well into adulthood. With the guests that followed, we explored trauma from the perspective of police officers, soldiers, persons in the healthcare system, persons not being accepted for their sexuality, and many others. We learned about intergenerational trauma, We also learn about how sharing one's story, the very act of putting feelings and experiences into words, can be a healing process. Today we look to answer the question, what happened to that little girl, Aaliyah, in Rekha Sharma Crawford's book? We know that her father is ultimately not deported, but as we have learned over the past few months, you just don't return to normal after a trauma. There is no end, really, but rather the continuation of a journey. Things may get better, but they don't go back to some point in time. To help us understand this all a little bit better, and to look perhaps to somebody who, who may be Aaliyah herself uh, many years later, we're going to talk today with Alejandra Villalobos McAnderson. Alejandra is the owner of Villalobos Vitality, where she uses her knowledge as a holistic energy medicine practitioner and mindful leadership coach to help powerhouse individuals lead and perform from a place of oneness and empathy. As a young immigrant from Mexico herself, Alejandra is committed to the promise of caring for the next generation through serving and partnering with several nonprofit organizations in the Kansas City community. Alejandra, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. When we first met, or at least I first saw you, you were speaking at a uh, an open house, if you will, for I Have an Immigrant, and that was put together by a guest on this show, uh, Komal Precor. 
And you were speaking about your experience as an immigrant. And in particular, you were telling us about a moment in time where as a young girl, you and your mother and your siblings were at an immigration office and your mother uh, uh, bent down to your eye level and she gave you an instruction. And I was wondering if you could briefly give us a little bit of background about yourself and take us up to that moment in time. Absolutely. So I was born in Guadalajara, Mexico. Um, We transitioned to the U.S. when I was about six years old. Um, My father was involved politically in Mexico when it was a very chaotic time and um, his best friend was shot and killed. So he had to flee the country and come to the U.S. Um, During this time, my mother and my siblings and I went into hiding until he had enough money to bring us over. So we moved to a big city, and when he had enough money, we uh, made that journey from Mexico to the U.S. We took, I remember, I just remember that we had to basically leave everything behind. Uh, My mother was pregnant with her fifth child. Um, I was the oldest. We're all under the age of six, Um, and she had a suitcase and we each had a backpack, um, but she, you know, made it sound like an adventure. And during this day, we took, uh, you know, our first flight from Guadalajara to Tijuana, and my uncle met us there to come through uh, the immigration offices. I remember the lighting. I remember um, the more of the sensations, the energy that I can feel from my mother, right? There was a lot, like, almost like there was so much writing on this. And what she basically told me that day, you know, was, you're in charge of your siblings, you know, be a good girl. Um, don't be loud. Don't create any chaos. Um, and, you know, putting a lot on my shoulders at that moment. And what we've talked about before is like when we have these moments with children, sometimes we don't even realize the imprint that we're leaving. So during this time when she's telling me to be a good girl, um, is kind of the beginning of like this good girl mentality of having to be perfect, of having to be a certain way of putting everyone else's needs before my own. And and I know also when we had talked before, there was um, other things that came through to you. I know one was, or at least the, the, the sense of it was, I want you to be seen but not heard. Mm-hmm. You, you need to be quiet. Mm-hmm. And I can imagine you're in a formal office perhaps and it's, it's nerve-wracking, but the, it sounds to me like you internalize that, those words, is not only be quiet in this formal office right now, but you just need to be quiet moving forward. You need to be seen and not heard going Absolutely. forward. Absolutely. I know also part of uh, our conversation in the past, and I wanted to bring our audience up to date, is you've told me that when you were in Mexico and you it was clear that something was going on, your parents tried to shield it from you. It almost became a an adventure, if you will. They tried to make it an adventure. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking of a movie that I saw and I forgot. I think it's called Life is Beautiful. Mm-hmm. And it was a story of a... A, a man who was raising, I believe, his son during the onset of the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. And he created this storyline about it. And they, for our listeners, they'll remember, I think he won an Academy Award. I forgot who the actor's name was. And he stood up on the chairs at, in the, mm-hmm. at the Academy Awards. But it sounds to me like a story was created for you. But even with that, I have to imagine you still, you still felt the anxiety. You still felt the stress. I know in Rekha Sharma Crawford's book, 
you have this child who hears whispering and knows something's up, but in a child's mind doesn't fully understand that. Is that is that right? Yes. So it's you feel the tension, right? My mm-hmm. father was gone for a while. We went into hiding. We didn't leave the house. We um, only left to get groceries and to go pick up the money that my dad would send weekly. So there was a lot happening. And even though parents, you know, would be like, everything's fine. We're going to go to Disneyland. You still feel it, you know? So we always talk about how, um, intuitive children are. And even if you're not saying what you're feeling, and if you had a frustrating day or if you're angry, um, they definitely feel it. And what happens is a lot of the times we try to brush over that, right? And we start to train them to not trust their feelings, to not trust their intuition. So for example, you know, if dad comes home and he's mad and a child's like, dad's mad today, most parents are like, oh no, he's fine, right? And what we're really telling our children is like, don't trust those feelings that you're feeling instead of how what would we were actually like truthful with our children like yeah dad had a rough day and it's normal let's give him some space until he's ready you know so it's there my parents didn't have those tools um but by them not having those tools and me going through this process if it's allowed me to grow those tools for my own children when you moved to california after leaving that immigration office I know one of the things you've told me about is that you were ostracized to a certain extent. You moved into an area that was primarily white Mm -hmm. um, and you didn't have a lot of money at the time. Your family did not. Uh, There was a language barrier. You've indicated to me that you were perceived as looking different. Mm -hmm. And, And I'm wondering how that adds to the stress and anxiety that you would have sensed early on in Mexico, knowing you're leaving the immigration office, you're being told to be kind of be quiet, be seen, but not heard. And now you're moving to a place where who you are becoming or who you think you are becoming is now being, you you almost feel you have to push that to the side to be someone else to fit in. Absolutely. So, you know, a big part of that was just even my name, right? Most people couldn't pronounce Alejandra. So, they started calling me Alex and that was, that was fine. But I gave so much of what makes me, um, unique to be able to fit in because that's what the agenda is, right? That's what the agenda is for a lot of immigrant children is you're not supposed to stand out. You're not supposed to bring attention to us and to our situation and to our family. So, um, Elementary school was pretty rough. There was a lot of bullying. I did look different. I've always feel like I've always been an old soul. So I've gotten along with adults a lot better than children. So I got along with my principal and my teachers a lot better than my, you know, kids in my class. So I got made fun of a lot. Um, just, you know, being a teacher's pet or brown nosing or, you know, you look different. Like I said, we didn't have a lot of money. So, you know, I didn't have the cool clothes and, um, but I always like, I think I tried so hard to fit in that I'm sure at some point that was maybe annoying to some of the kids where <laughs> they're like, get out of my face. And 
didn't have the tools to express it in a kind way. So they would obviously pick on the way that I looked. You know, you and I talked about with one kiddo where he was like, I don't like you. I don't like your clothes. I don't like your eyebrows. And so then it's like when something points something out that is, that's wrong, then you really and you've never viewed it as wrong before, mm-hmm. then you start to say, oh my gosh, what is wrong with my eyebrows? And then you start to pick at yourself, you know? And so um, there was a lot of picking at myself, you know, in elementary. So if I don't fit in and I'm different and I'm weird, what can I do to fit in? How can I fix, how can I fix me so that people will like me? And going back to your name, you know, as we've talked, and I know uh, in the we we put out like a a, an ad, if you will, on Facebook or LinkedIn, and and you had indicated that you were referred to in some cases Alex, Mm -hmm. and I debated in my mind uh, about it to introduce you, and I I apologize for not asking you, but I I feel as as I've gotten to know you a little bit on our past uh, time that we spent together, and then today that calling you Alejandra, uh, although I may not be saying it with mm-hmm. the exact pronunciation, feels more natural for me. But at the same time, we're here for you. So yeah. I guess my first question is, is that okay? Yeah, absolutely. For me, the healing piece wasn't even about the other person. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about me being comfortable with introducing myself as Alejandra, but you can call me Alex. And like I said, that's something that I almost had to practice saying out loud because I was uncomfortable with saying my name because at that time it brought so much shame, you know? So once you process the shame and the guilt and the things that you carry, you start to find the beauty behind it. So now it's less about what other people say or how they say it, but it's, it's me being proud of Alejandra. And so at age six or seven or eight, at some point someone or you decide that, you know what, some of these people can't say Alejandra. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to give them the, they just call me Alex. But that, you took on the name Alex for a while there. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until, what, 30 years later that yeah. you, that, that what what happened 30 years later that, or whenever it was later, where you decided to say, wait a minute, I'll give people the option if they want, just because I want to be able to communicate with them. But for me, I'm going to see myself as Alejandra. Right. So we become like these um, creatures. We don't like resistance. We don't like to be uncomfortable. So for a long time, I kind of just went with like whatever the easiest path is. And if it's easier for people to say Alex, then we'll just go with Alex. You know, and when I got married to my sweetheart and got the last name McAnderson, then it was, you know, Alex McAnderson. It doesn't get more (laughs) (laughs) whiter than that. And so um, I think the part of me that is really resilient and this kind of the the, the hustler inside, it's like, okay, I'm going to use this to my benefit. Mm -hmm. Right. And um, but I did have an aha moment a couple of years ago from one of my students where he asked, like, why do you go? And it, it literally wasn't something that I had even thought about. And he's like, why do you go by Alex instead of Alejandra? And I was like, well, it's, you know, it's just hard for people to pronounce. And he's like, yeah, but that's that's our problem, not yours. And that was like a kick in the gut. Because I was like, holy cow, what other things have I given up, right, for comfort, for to follow this path of least resistance Mm. um, that I have 
I haven't even looked at, right? And that was kind of like the beginning of really looking at my roots and my ethnicity and the beauty and the richness that is, you know, where I come from. And my ancestors um, was literally that moment, that conversation. And I know there was a moment then after that where you had to, I think, stand in front of a mirror and practiced saying, not Alex, but practiced saying Alejandra again. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if you could if you could take the listeners there for a moment because it's so powerful, this idea that that you have to almost almost reestablish ownership of yourself in a way, I guess. Absolutely. If, if you could describe that moment in the mirror where you're practicing your own name uh, to, to, uh, to, to go back out in the world as you. Yeah. Um, it was... I mean, there were a lot of tears because when you think about healing, you're going back to those very uncomfortable moments and you're letting yourself experience them again so you can heal it. And I remember just practicing like, my name's Alejandra, but you can call me Alex. And then there was just this eruption of of emotions and tears. And then it kind of move to laughter because it is silly. It, it is silly to, I think what happens is we start to wear these masks of what other people expect of us, whether it's society or our parents or our partners, and we lose ourselves, right? And part of this journey is to get to know you once again, to come home to you. Who are you really? Because a lot of the times we start to create these stories and we start to believe our own lies. And there's just this sense of, um, sometimes in the beginning, it feels like pain because you have to truly look at yourself in the mirror and ask yourself like, who am I truly? Not who I've been pretending to be. Mm. Um, But then after that, there's this joy. There's like the light within that you've lost kind of sparks back up. What I found interesting also about this conversation that you're having with yourself in the mirror is that whatever you had suppressed, and we'll call it identity, I I almost like the idea of more the spark Mm -hmm. or light, Mm -hmm. and I know you used that term before, that whatever was happening at that moment that you felt that, and it, it was a somatic, I mean, it was a feeling inside you, it was something you felt. And we had talked to Dr. Price about my, a book, My Grandmother's Hands, mm-hmm. that very much talked about the idea of how trauma manifests itself within our body as a feeling. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like that was going on with you at that moment. It wasn't an intellectual exercise, Alejandra versus Alex. It may, there may be in some understanding at that level, but there was a feeling to it as well. Absolutely. And so it's... This whole process, I think it's it's definitely not the mind, right? It's the physical body. And then we start to understand why our physical body is always talking to us. It's kind of storing all of our crud. And so we wonder why my lower back is achy sometimes or my shoulders feel heavy. Sometimes it's not like the physical things that we're doing, but it's the energies and the emotions that we're holding. And if we don't have tools to be able to release, then it becomes heavier and heavier. And then it can manifest um, in the body as depression, anxiety, and, and, you know, mental health issues. One of the other things that was going on during this time period is your legal status in the country. And 
I would have to think for myself, I'm trying to fit in. Uh, I'm put, trying to place myself in your shoes. I'm trying to fit in. I look different slightly. I mean, you've used that, that phrase. Maybe my, my voice sounds different, at least early on, from what other people are, are sound like mm-hmm. in the environment you were living in. And and now, all of a sudden, it must dawn on you at some point, wait a minute, I'm not, I guess, I don't know maybe if the word citizen is not used, but I'm not, I don't have the same status as everyone else. Mm-hmm. And I would think that that check the box kind of legal definition would have to have some impact on you and your mental health, your how you identify as yourself. Yeah, there's always had to be, like I said, that inner resilience. I've always had to, uh, what it feels like, work a little bit harder, like open a couple extra doors and be really resilient because it things up, haven't come easily, right? You know, we talked about how the especially when it comes to um, like your driver's license, going to school. Like I feel like sometimes those are things people take for granted, but for someone that is an immigrant, there's extra steps. You're constantly trying to prove yourself. You're trying to prove that you're here um, legally, that you're worthy of this support or this scholarship or this license. And so it's always just been like extra work. And I remember when I had to go get my driver's license and driver's ed as, you know, we were in this class and they're like, okay, before you take your test, you have to bring your birth certificate. And I remember the worker that was there was like, oh, this isn't a U.S. certificate, right? So you can't take the test or you can't get your license. You need to show proof of citizenship or proof that, you know, of your legal status. And um, what's been really beautiful, there's always been some type of, you can call it higher power saving grace that has always helped me when I'm kind of in these tight situations. So with this particular person, they said, I'm going to let you take the test as like a practice test, but you're not going to get your license. And somehow my test must have gotten shuffled in with all the other tests and just under the radar, I got my driver's license and that kind of opened the door for other things to kind of fall into place. So there's always been something, someone guiding me and supporting me through, through the hardships. We're talking with our guest Alejandra Villalobos about her experiences as an immigrant from the point of having to leave Mexico to seek safety here in the United States, being ostracized uh, when she came over here, having to adopt essentially another identity, if you will, in an attempt to fit in. And then in the next half hour, we're going to talk about the journey back to her and her true self. You're listening to Jaws of Justice on 90.1 KKFI. Support for KKFI by the Midwest Trust Center at Johnson County Community College. The Midwest Trust Center at Johnson County Community College, formerly the Carlson Center, has been a venue for the performing arts and arts education since 1990 and, in support of KKFI, offers a full list of events and can accept donations at jccc.edu forward slash Midwest Trust Center. Eco Radio KC, a locally produced exploration of positive solutions to the ecological challenges we face as we work to create a healthier future for our community and the planet. Hear from regional and national guests, find out about upcoming events, and learn how to keep yourself and your family well. 
Tune in each week from 6 to 7 on Monday evenings or listen anytime at kkfi.org slash podcasts. If you or someone you know is suffering from thoughts of suicide, you can dial the Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 988 or go to 988lifeline.org. This is a public service announcement of 90.1 FM KKFI. Now the calendar for the week of January 9th. Legal Aid of Western Missouri provides free civil legal services to low-income and vulnerable people in Jackson County, Missouri. Interested individuals can call 816-474-6750 to apply. Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense in America is a very active group of mothers and others. You can learn where their virtual meetings this week will occur at momsdemandaction.org. Monday, January 9th at 6 p.m. is the Moore Square Monthly Issues to Action meeting. Every second Monday of the month, leaders and members from across the metro gather online to advance racial and economic equity. These meetings are open to anyone who's interested in getting involved. There's usually general updates and announcements, then teams will break out by focus issue to plan their next steps of action. The Zoom link is available at moresquare.org. Thursday, January 12th at 4 p.m., the Kansas City, Kansas Public Library is celebrating Martin Luther King Day at 625 Minnesota, the main library, Kansas City, Kansas. This is for ages 8 to 19 with a little bit of learning and crafting. Registration is required. Thursday, January 12th at 5 p.m., Community Justice Coalition is a virtual event sponsored by Empower Missouri. For more info, go to empowermissouri.org. Friday, January 13th at noon is the Empower Missouri Friday Forum. The topic is Temporary Assistance for Needy Families, TANF. The program faces consistent scrutiny, making Missouri one of the most restrictive to manage this federal program. You can join Empower Missouri and talk about ways we can support our most vulnerable families in Missouri. Go to EmpowerMissouri.org. Saturday, January 14th at 10 a.m., new ambassador training for local control with Moore Square. You can join the grassroots movement for local control of KCPD. Being a campaign ambassador is easy and powerful. There will be a virtual training on relational organizing and how to use it to build momentum for this important cause. More info at moresquare.org. Saturday, January 14th at noon, Mothers of Incarcerated Sons and Daughters KC is having their monthly session. They offer information about state and federal criminal justice systems, support and advocacy for self and the incarcerated, and much more. This will be at Plexport Westport Commons, centrally located on the bus line, easy to find at 300 East 39th Street, Kansas City, Missouri, Annex A Meeting Room with convenient parking and much more. A list of services, meals, and hotlines specific to sheltering are available at lawrenceprogressivecalendar.blogspot.com. That list is updated daily. My name is Terry. 
reminding you that these events and more can be found on the Jaws of Justice radio page, on the KKFI website, kkfi.org, as well as on the Jaws of Justice Facebook page. Please stay safe. Thanks to all our listeners. Stay close to your dial and stay well. We'll now return to our show. This is Jaws of Justice on 90.1 KKFI. Our guest today is Alejandro Villalobos. Uh, we spoke in the first half hour about her journey uh, as an immigrant uh, from a very young child uh, up until today. And Alejandro, one of the things that I wanted to, to ask you about was we started again in Mexico. You had to flee under uh, difficult circumstances, seeking safety here in the United States. You didn't know fully what was going on, but you kind of did. Then you came to uh, immigration office. Your mother's telling you you're in charge, but you're only six. Mm-hmm. At that point, you have younger siblings and your mother's pregnant. You come to the United States in California. There's certainly feeling of being excluded there, both by language, perhaps and by looks as well. And then even going so far as adopting the name Alex for individuals. And then you have the issue of legal status. Uh, I know during that period of time that you didn't have legal status. And I would think the, the stress, the anxiety from all of those things, the, uh, whatever it is that arises when someone is, is out of balance mm-hmm. would, would become so much that it would cause it would manifest itself physically. Mm-hmm. And and that happened with you, did it not? Yes. So I think what happens is when we have these really strong emotions or stressors or trauma in our lives, right? It's almost like our brain is a computer and it's like, I cannot compute. This is too much for me. I'm going to push it into the body. And so all of that, it just is in our body. And at some point, it's too much, right? So then you start to have physical mass manifestations of the stress of the trauma that you're carrying. So my healing journey really started about 12 years ago when my body started to break down, you know, and I went to Western medicine and doctors couldn't figure out what it was. They kind of just put the label of autoimmune. They thought I may have, you know, early stages of lupus. I was on so many medications, but it was just like, take this pill and forget about it. Right. And then it wasn't until I met people and, you know, mentors now where it's like, no, there's more to that. Like your body's talking to you. It's not, um, it's not ill as in it's not fighting against you. Cause I think that's a lot of times you believe like my body's breaking down. It's like, no, it's trying, it's trying to let you know it's carrying too much. And in that journey of exploring, what am I carrying? We go back to those situations, those moments that I've had to go back and heal and like understand what that meant to me as a child and how some of these things were a bigger deal than what I thought they were. Um, and so that's what I've really been doing. And now I get to share those gifts and teach others how to do that. When the, it sounds to me that one of the things you, you've said is that when, when you experience something, um, as a child that you may not have recognized as the, the moment is traumatic, right? but yet it, it stays with you. Mm-hmm. Perhaps that, you know, you know, Alejandro, you need to be quiet. You need to be seen and not heard. Mm-hmm. That may not have, have felt traumatic at the moment, but it, it, it seems as if the the impact of that, the the extent to which it changed the course of your life to some extent mm-hmm. and requires significant healing later, means it was very traumatic to right. you. 
Um, and, and I get the impression that there's many other things that you've experienced, both things we've talked about and otherwise, that almost compound. Uh, um, I think you use the analogy of carrying a bag of rocks. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yes. And it becomes what? So heavy that you can't move anymore? How would you, how yeah. would you help our audience understand that? Yeah, so I always say that sometimes we pick up stones that either don't belong to us or um, we don't even recognize where they're where they're from. So we're carrying this big, and we're so used to feeling the heaviness of it that we don't even think that we have the option to put it down, right? And so you're just kind of trudging through life, making it work, especially as an immigrant, you're just taught, you just keep going. Like you, one foot in front of another, it's a new day, which makes them such beautiful, resilient humans. But sometimes you don't even recognize the weight that they're carrying, right? And so for me as a child, um, you know, having to translate for my parents, having to be in very adult situations as a child, I was carrying all of that. Um, I remember a memory that came up that I had to kind of go back to was uh, my father was a truck driver. He had his own truck driving company and he used to do double shifts. So he would sometimes when I would drive with him, he would almost be falling asleep at the wheel. So it was my responsibility to talk to him, to keep him up. Um, and I remember telling him like, when I have my driver's license or my permit, I'm going to help you. And that's so ridiculous for an, a nine-year-old, a 10-year-old to be like, I'm going to help you drive this huge semi to make your, you know what I mean? You, I became the fixer. I became that care um, taker for everyone around me. And so I just did that throughout life for my colleagues, for my partner, for everyone. And eventually my body was like, I can't, this is too much and started to give up. You know, when, when you bring that up about your, your dad, it, you, you took on such a, such a, a parental role at that moment. It, it would almost seem overwhelming, but as you said, Certainly, you've been resilient and you know others that have, and you just one foot in front of the other and keep going. But I guess the problem ultimately is that sometimes you're just, you're human Mm -hmm. and you can only take so much. And so, and so that brings us to where we are now, and that is your work with Villalobos Vitality. Mm -hmm. What is that work that you do, if you could describe it briefly, and then we'll talk about how that became an avenue for healing for you. Yes. So Villalobos Vitality means the continuation of a beautiful, powerful, and purposeful life through the connection of mind, body, and spirit. And Villalobos means village of the wolves in Spanish. And I think in my journey early on, I was trying so hard to fit in to be more of a sheep, right? To not... Uh, create any chaos to just fit in, just be like everyone else. And in my healing journey, I'm like, I'm, I'm not a sheep. I'm a wolf. And I, there's parts of me that are, that are ferocious and that are brave and that are loud and that are fearless and owning all versions of me. And so in my practice, I teach people to dive into the parts of themselves that they've stored away or that they have deemed as not good enough or that they've tucked away and exploring those places, um, in helping them come home to them so that they can be whole once again. But, and I guess maybe we start there. What does that being whole once again mean? And then 
at that i mean where what are we trying to get to and then what is the process of getting there maybe with a traumatic experience uh, that's a singular event or even a traumatic experience that's at a lower level but for a much longer period of time yeah. so where are we trying to get to first and, and maybe that sounds too action-oriented right i know that's what you're gonna tell me the <laughs> action-oriented but just but help me through that where, what yeah. where are you where are we going to and maybe if yeah. that's the right way of saying and like you said i think that we're always looking to where are we going to right where this is more of a stillness this is more of a going within and as you go within then you discover these parts of you, I feel like a lot of the time, especially growing up, we become a little fractured. You know, we have these moments where we leave a little piece of us here and a little piece of us there. And then by the time that we're adults, we have like these missing pieces. And so what I like to do is go back and recover those pieces of ourselves so that we become whole. And when we become whole, it's almost like this activation, this light happens and we become our true and authentic selves. And by being our true and authentic selves, then it gives others permission to show up in that way. And so there's just this almost like a lighthouse. And as we turn on, then other people turn on. And that I'm there's there's it's hard to describe because it's an experience. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not something that is I don't know. It's it's hard to fill with words. Well, but but I think one of the things you mentioned that I was visualizing as you're saying it is that by you being your true and authentic self, you create a space or maybe give off a, a vibe. I don't know how an energy mm-hmm. that makes other people feel okay with being themselves, mm-hmm. their authentic selves, and and it, I would have to believe that. That you, as as Alejandro Villalobos, uh, professionally, and I know you're married with uh, your last name, Mick Anderson, but that that you coming back to your true, authentic self has to bring about more joy in your life. Mm-hmm. Is that does that sound? Yes, because it's it it takes so much energy to keep putting these masks on, right? And so even when I was in the corporate world, um, you know, I was great at my job, but I had to be super polished, and I had to be a very specific version of me, right? So it's like only this part of me can show up in this space. So the rest of me really had to be in the shadows. And when you are your authentic self, you are changing the space around you because then you're walking into a room. And we've all felt that. We've walked into a room where like, oh, this feels weird or I don't know anyone in here and we naturally shrink down. And sometimes you can see it in someone's physical body where like their shoulders kind of go inward and their head lowers where it's like, no, instead walking into the room and like rolling your shoulders back, opening your chest and letting that light kind of fill that room. And so um, I'm like, where? Sorry, I, I get into these visualizations and I'm like, wait, what were we talking about? I kind of get guided sure. uh, through. Well, and, and what we're, we're in, in, by, as you were talking, I was thinking about how do we, how, how do we go back to Alejandra or in the case we're talking about Rekha Sharma Crawford's book, Aaliyah, mm-hmm. how do we go back to that person who experiences the tr- traumatic events before and then during that time period and afterwards and allow that person to... I don't know, to, to, to grow, mature, 
so that maybe there's like an almost an arrested development, if you will, of that person mm-hmm. that per- was shot off in one direction because of outside forces. But now that now, you know, mm-hmm. and so how do you go back to help nurture that child? It sounds like that maybe is stuck on that pathway and what divert her back. I, I, I don't, I'm trying to understand yeah. how that how that happens, how that healing happens so that. So that you get back to your true authentic self. So I think that healing is such a buzzword now, right? Like with the last couple of years that we've had, everyone's looking for something different, something to help, something to heal, whether it's the mental clarity or the physical. Um, But everyone's journey is different, right? So for me, this journey was really about, you know, Reiki was the thing that opened the door. For me, it was really going back to my roots, really understanding where I come from and um, inviting in that part of me. Um, And a lot of that happened through meditation, through a lot of alternative medicine. For some people, it comes through working out, through some people, like, I never, there's never one fit, like one fix, one fit all, like everyone's journey is, is unique, but what's really beautiful, there's always signs around. There's always things guiding you. Um, I always say, God, the universe or higher power is constantly talking through people. And so there's times where you have a conversation and maybe you hear the same message from three different people. So what happened for me was that I started to be still, that I started to pay attention, that I started to trust my intuition, that I started to um, listen to the signs. And we talked about the pebble analogy that I use to pay attention to the pebbles and that it's, it's almost like I, I, it's the visualization that I'm getting. It's like, I jumped into like this lazy river of healing where it's been flowing and guiding me. And there's so many layers. So as soon as like, there's something that I go back to and that I heal and that I understand on a different perspective, then that layer gets healed, then we go into a deeper layer. And so we're constantly, once we, once we allow ourselves to understand that while we're here on earth school, we're always going to be evolving. We're always going to be expanding. We're always going to be learning. Then you kind of surrender to that and, and you say, okay. I was, uh, uh, looking at your LinkedIn Site it's it's Alejandra Villalobos McAnderson, mm-hmm. and this was from New Year's Eve, and you had said in there it said this mantra should fill you with inspiration on a day like today because its possibilities endless. And the following: I believe in myself. I believe in you. I believe in my potential. I believe everything will work out for my highest good. I believe everything is exactly as it should be. And then the final one is: I believe in magic. Mm-hmm. And that last one about magic struck me because I I wondered if the extent of the trauma that you've experienced over your life almost requires something as 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 endless or as powerful as magic mm-hmm. to bring you back to your true authentic self to help you heal mm-hmm. is that is that right or absolutely that- like i've had to rely a lot on the divine right and that's what my practice is based upon is you know before it was uncomfortable to say oh i 
I work with angels and spirit guides? Because there was a lot of judgment and people were like, what? You know, or, um, but that now it's a piece of authenticity that I, I have to just be authentic to what I do, to who I am. Um, and there is magic, you know, as children, we're so open and we believe and we see so much more than just what's physically in front of us. And as we get older, we lose that, right? It has to make sense. It has to be physical. I have to be able to touch it, feel it, smell it. Um, but there's so much out there that is not of this physical world. And so if our if our brain only uses 10%, if our eyes can only see a certain amount in the light spectrum, what else is out there? And if we start to live life like children with curiosity, with um, out expectation, then we open up this whole other world. And you, you use the phrase Reiki, is mm-hmm. that right? Could you briefly talk about that? It's something I didn't know about until I started reading about you. Again, my interest originally was in the experience that I heard you talking about at the Eye of... I have an immigrant symposium, but but then I've learned more about you. So, and I know this is something that you provide at Reiki. What is that? Yeah. So Reiki is just a form of energy healing. And just like I have evolved as a person, it's almost like my practice has evolved too. So Reiki, I always say, is the foundation. It's the thing that opened the door for me. It's that the thing that opened the door for me to remember, like, you have a gift. You have a purpose. And you are not utilizing what your natural gifts are and I know what my purpose is. And in the beginning, it sounded very pompous, but now it's, it's with a lot of, of grace and with love. Like I know I carry some very deep medicine, but it's to heal leaders and lead healers. And so I know that's what my purpose is. And, and I trust that. But in the beginning, it was like Reiki was the thing that allowed me to um, manipulate and understand energy, understand that we're so much more than our physical bodies, that we are these energetic beings, that we attract experiences, that there's so much more out there. And as I evolved, my practice also evolved. And now it's the energy healing, but also with like with my roots, it's connecting to the land, it's connecting to our ancestors. It's tapping into um, our stories before we were even born. And when when I asked you uh, if you'd be willing to come on as a, for an interview, you said sure, and you said come out and I'll do a session, a Reiki mm-hmm. session. Am mm-hmm. I saying that a Reiki yeah. session? So we did. Yes. And uh, I didn't even know what Reiki was until I met you. So I'm in and. and you know, I, I was a tax lawyer, and I'm a lawyer, I'm a criminal lawyer, and I'm, it would come across as. I mean, I, I look as I am, middle-aged white guy from the mm-hmm. suburbs. But, um, you know, one thing that I found so powerful about it and our talk about it afterwards was your explanation to me about being a guide. And so it wasn't so much you were wanting me to do something or pushing me to do something or pulling me towards something, but rather creating a space. And you used a term for it. You were holding a space for yeah. me and that, that I could – what uh, emerge and however it was that I was going to emerge. If you can help me through that, I found that to be to be a very beautiful idea. Yeah. So the best way to describe it is almost like you have someone that is holding that space in that container for you, for you to be able to feel safe enough to go within. So my intention always in my practice is not to heal someone or to um, set an expectation 
and you know that like in our sessions, I never set expectations. I just want to fill that room with so much love that the person feels so safe that they're able to go into those layers of themselves, right? So if we think about everything that we're carrying, almost like layers and layers of clothes, right? And when you are in the safe space, when you're healing, you're just unpeeling, unpeeling one, you know, garment of clothing and then another and then another until you finally like see yourself. And then you realize, oh my gosh, I don't even have to carry these layers. Like I'm safe as is. So for me, it's just being able to, um, like you said, there's no manipulation, right? Because if it was, if there was, it would, it wouldn't last. The deep healing is truly about the person recognizing within themselves what it is that needs to uh, change, what's no longer serving them, what brings them joy. And then the work after the session is doing those little micro movements every day until you are that person that you envisioned in that session or that you felt or that that you remembered in that session. Oh, that's interesting. I, I like the that that the visual that you just provided in that it's almost as if you're you're creating a safe space where somebody can be quiet for a moment mm-hmm. and be guided to see their best self, whatever that is. Yes. And to have that vision, to know that that exists. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then like you said, the work at that point is to those micro movements to, to, to get there. Mm-hmm. I like that idea a lot. So coming back to you, uh, Alejandra, and your experiences that we've talked about throughout the last hour that have gone by really quickly, where are you now in that journey? How would you describe yourself in terms of, of, of you've maybe seen your authentic self or you've seen your best self at some point? Are, are you closer? What, how would you describe where you're at right now? I'm at a place of joy. I'm at a place of understanding that those things that I can't control outside of myself have no power over me anymore. So when we talk about my immigration status, and I know people are like, where are you at with that now? Um, it's, it's almost secondary, right? Because I have decided to thrive regardless of my outside circumstances. So every day I focus on like what brings me joy, right? So I do the things that bring me joy, which is to serve, which is to spend time with my children, which is to, you know, cuddle with my eight-year-old and spend time with my husband. And I focus on those happy moments and that just kind of radiates out. So when there are things that happen in my life is absolutely not perfect. I've had a crazy last 30 days, but because I have those tools and because I understand that it's all part of a lesson that it's happening like for me, then I'm able to navigate through those hardships, through the, through that, call it darkness, knowing that it's going to be transmuted into light, into something beautiful. So I just enjoy every day in earth school and Uh, just keep going. And you, you said something really beautiful uh, during one of our, our conversations was something, and you've alluded to it here that you've either developed a sense or recognized within you a sense of peace that exists irregardless of what's going on around you. And it's that, that light, whatever you want to call it, that I, I feel that, 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 that 
that you found. I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm saying it right. If you yeah. please, I don't want to. Yeah, no, no, no. Words. And that's what we say almost. And, you know, like when you do yoga and you say namaste, it's like the light in me sees and honors the light in you. And I think that's the biggest thing in like my practice. People are like, oh, but but like you you feel good. You feel peaceful. You feel things. But it's just I'm just a mirror of something that is within you. Right. And so if we start to experience and look at people as mirrors. If something that you see in me that is like, wow, and it's great. It's just a reflection of something that you love within you. If someone triggers you or someone rubs you the wrong way, it's just a reflection of something that you haven't healed within you. Then the outside world doesn't really matter because it's all reflecting back at you and so that's what we're doing we're coming back home to us alejandra villalobos thank you so much mm-hmm. for being here today just if people are interested more is there a, is there a website they can go to or, or something to yes, learn more about you yes all of my social media is villalobos vitality uh, my website is just www.villalobosvitality.com you can find me on instagram and facebook um, youtube there's a lot of guided meditations on my youtube channel for people um, that's kind of my jam is guiding people through those spaces and yeah I have a couple different offices you can find me in Leewood and Northland and Shawnee. Um, but yeah, if you're curious, reach out. I'd be happy to to help and to serve. Thank you so much for sharing your experience with us today. Thank you, David. It's a blast. This is Jaws of Justice on 90.1 KKFI. Hello and welcome. I am Andrew Richardson and the director of the London Human Given Centre. Depression is a word banded about a lot and many will talk of being depressed when just feeling down or blue. But those who have really experienced depression know in their bones that a depression is much more than this. They will talk of feelings of utter hopelessness, of being completely overwhelmed or of being enveloped in a mood of black despair. Often this is a palpable physical feeling of blackness, of tightness, of heaviness and stuckness. And it is horrifying to experience. There is little pleasure or motivation and life seems to be a round of low energy and continuous awful anxious feelings. And you will realise that a depression is not genetic or an affliction of your brain and that you can overcome it. Just imagine for a moment that you were worried today about something, but then took action to resolve the worry, and so found that the worry feeling just disappeared. Then your capacity to worry, which we all need to make sure we can guard ourselves against potentially adverse future events, would be ready and waiting when next called upon. And it is pretty clear also what we have to do to change this. The first step is to stop worrying right now. To do whatever it takes and however hard it seems at the beginning. And then find that even a day without worrying, or worrying less, is enough. And then each day can become a little easier. And you have a little more energy. And begin to see things differently. And find answers to those nagging questions. 
and then acting upon those answers. Or realising that those questions don't need to be answered and can be just let go. My name is Andrew Richardson and thank you. We hope you enjoyed today's show and that we leave you with something to think about, something to talk to your neighbors about, and a reason to get involved. As always, the opinions expressed are those of the host and the guest of Jaws of Justice Radio, not of KKFI, the Midcoast Radio Project Incorporated, its staff or volunteers. You can find our calendar of events and a link to our show episodes on the Jaws of Justice Radio Facebook page. You can always listen to us live and find our podcast on the KKFI website, kkfi.org. This is Jeff reminding you our outro music is Higher Ground from the Playing for Change CD.